Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Listeners, buckle up. I've got some crazy stuff to share with you today. This is going to be one amazing episode. My guest today is Lori Taylor. She's the founder and CEO of The Produce Moms. For 10 years, Lori sold fresh produce to over 300 grocery stores throughout the United States, and today she is full force, full steam ahead, working with the produce supply chain. She works in media. She works with folks in the government to increase fresh produce access and consumption in the United States and around the globe. I I'm so excited about this guest, largely because I recently read this rather disturbing study published actually back in January in the Journal of Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. I mean, if there's a journal that sounds a little depressing, I, I think it would be that one, but bear with me here. 10% of Americans are eating the recommended amount of veggies and fruit. Okay, so that is the statistic that came out of this study. It is also what is widely reported on the CDC website and in CDC communications about how much and what America is currently consuming and what where we kind of have you know a long road ahead of us. And in this case, I mean, it really blows my mind in so many ways that 90% of us are not getting what we need from veggies and fruit. So to chat a little bit more about that. I've got Lori here. I am so thrilled to have her get into it. We talk about produce marketing. We talk about the relationship between the produce growers and retailers. We talk about some of the supply chain issues faced throughout the produce industry and what Lori is doing. And really, I mean, when I say powerhouse, it like doesn't even explain who this woman really is. So I can't wait to to hear what you think of this episode and to let her chat a little bit more about everything she's working on with all of you. All right. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome Lori Taylor of The Produce Moms. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. All right, guys, today's question, what's your take on cereal? Are there any breakfast cereals that you recommend? And if so, which ones? Ooh, cereal is without question like the food that gets the most flack in media everywhere for for some of its nutritional attributes, for some of its marketing. I mean, honestly, if Tony the Tiger were trying to survive in his natural habitat on flakes of frosted corn flour, I don't know. Do you, I mean, like, would he be strong enough to stand up to other predators? I'm not sure. It's TBD. He'd have to eat a lot of flakes. I mean, I think cereal is just glorious, personally. And I, especially if we consider it for what it actually is, <laughs> which is breakfast when it's in its most plain, unsweetened, real whole food form 
right? I also think it's glorious, however, when it's dessert. And that's when it's frosted, fruity, chocolate, glazed, crunchy, you know, something that is like modeled after a more indulgent breakfast item. For example, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I mean, you know, you guys know how I feel about this. What was childhood without Cinnamon Toast Crunch? I never, I'm so glad that I will never have to know. However, any food, right, like including breakfast cereal, can have a place in your daily meals and snacks, obviously. I mean, you guys know that that's really something that I feel pretty strongly about. But if you love sweet cereal and you want to use it as a topping or as a treat or as part of a snack, great. The confusing part is when cereals do this strange marketing thing where it's a little bit like, is this healthy? Like, is this a lower in sugar version? I mean, that that's usually what I hear most often from so many people that I work with. And I think it can be super confusing, especially now that I'm seeing like all kinds of different wacky, insane claims on cereal packaging, like keto. I'm like, honestly, this is made from wheat flour. So I don't even know how you think you're getting away with saying that, but the FDA doesn't regulate that claim. So I guess they can do whatever they want until they get caught. All right. So here's, here are some of my tips for picking a cereal from the standpoint of something that is going to be more satisfying and nourishing for you. I would say check that the ingredients are made from hundred percent whole grains or just in general, real whole food ingredients meaning that like the first ingredient should be um, 100% whole grain wheat, 100% whole grain oats, or even almonds or peanuts, anything. It should just be a food and not like a protein isolate, which I'm seeing more and more in cereal products. Okay. Then I would say you really want to make sure that there are, mm, I would, I would normally say as few ingredients as possible, but that's getting harder and harder. And that's only because, you know, even in a positive way, that really means that you're getting more of nutritious, hundred percent whole grains, right? Like if you have lots of different types of whole grains going into that whole grain flour blend as the first ingredient, then that's a good thing. So you really just want there to be real food ingredients, things that you can recognize as different types of grains, different types of nuts, different types of seeds, right? Like you want them to be actual food. All right. Then I would say to get kind of specific and give you just a place to start. And again, these are not meant to be rules. This is just a a sort of ground zero starting spot. Look for a minimum of three grams each of protein and fiber and major bonus points for, for this product. If it's got a significant amount, like let's say six grams of protein or like more than, you know, six grams of fiber as well. Here's the thing. A half a cup of Greek yogurt, which is a dairy product, right, has about 10 grams of protein. Half a cup of regular skim milk has about four grams of protein, right? So a lot of the time you'll see these types of cereal ingredients that are playing up some of the attributes that you won't get in some of those other dairy products that you'd commonly consume at breakfast. And that's just fine with me, but it does make it a little bit more clarifying to look at that ingredients list and make sure that you're getting what you need because you're having this cereal with a Greek yogurt. And therefore you need a little bit less protein, right? So in other words, go up on that fiber if you feel like you are going to be consuming that cereal with another source of protein so that you can bulk it up, make it more satisfying. The last thing that I will say is that the things to kind of just check for besides the ingredients, like looking for those real whole foods ingredients is added sugar, sodium, and saturated fat. So a very sneaky, stealthy little way that sodium gets into our day can be in the form of breakfast cereals. I'm seeing this a lot with things like, oh, 
I don't know, different types of flavored cereals, especially those that are marketed under that like keto, paleo umbrella will often go way up in the sodium to increase the flavor of the cereal that you're consuming. I would say as a general rule of thumb, whether you're going like hot cereal, cold cereal, instant cereal, muesli, I don't know. Maybe you're making those oats overnight, Joey. Who's to say? The bottom line is that the more real whole food ingredients and the more plain simple, unsweetened ingredients, the more nutritious and more nutrient-dense that cereal is actually going to wind up being because it may sound like it's cardboard. (laughs) Maybe it doesn't sound like it's cardboard, but it may sound like it's something really plain and unappetizing to you. But if you're going to add that, you know, half cup of skim milk or non-fat milk or even whole milk, you're going to get that protein in there. That's going to give you a little bit of an extra boost to help you feel satisfied. If you're going with Greek yogurt, it's going to be even higher than that, right? So you can then add fruit to that mix. You can add a little bit of honey. You can add a little bit of an extra type of maybe it's a sweetened cereal that you'd normally have as a snack, right? You can load that thing with whatever you damn well please. The point is that the cereal should be as simple as possible to make it like your blank canvas for getting a nourishing satisfying breakfast meal into your belly so you have energy for the rest of your morning. All right. I hope that helps. When it comes to other types of cereals, YOLO. Okay. Do what you love. Eat what you love. That sounds like the WeWork slogan. That's not what I meant to say. Eat what you love. (laughs) Have a Tony the Tiger Festivus. Maybe you guys are, you know, just hanging out, getting those frosted flakes and, and doing some March Madness. Who's to say? Enjoy your cereal. Make sure you're starting with as simple, plain, unsweetened ingredients as possible made from real whole foods, and you can build on that blank canvas from there. All right. Hope that helps. Let me know what you think. Whatever nutrition questions you have, send them to me on Instagram at Jacqueline London RD, and I can't wait to hear what you've got in store for me. All right. Let's get into our episode. Lori Taylor. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. I was about to say welcome to the Produce Moms, but that's not this show. No, not this show. show. (laughs) Yes, that you've been a multiple, you know, you've been on, you've been on three or four times on the Produce Moms podcast. And it's always a joy. Mm -hmm. It is always a joy. So I'm so glad to have you here on, on the side. I mean, this is a thrill for me. How are you doing? Well, I was, I am thrilled every time I see you know, a new episode index in my subscription. So congrats to you on the launch of this show and so continuing happy. to spread your great message. Lori, you, are, you are it, girl. You are it. You, are, Lori, you really are. I mean, <laughs> listen, I, I introduced you, but from in your words, tell us, tell okay. our listeners, tell us about you. And let's start off on where we really, our true sweet spot here on the On The Side podcast, which is you wake up in the morning, breakfast? What are you having for breakfast? What's going on? What's a typical day in the life of Lori Taylor, the produce mom? Well, I will tell you what's for breakfast for me every day is copious amounts of coffee, like way too much coffee Please, to the point where sometimes I just drink coffee right through (laughs) breakfast hour. So the produce moms, as you said, like, you know, thank you for having me on the show. We're best described as a as a platform that's all about fruits and vegetables. Our mission is to get more fruits and vegetables on every table. For 10 years, I sold fresh produce across grocery, ret- you know, like 300 grocery retailers throughout Amazing. the United States. I was their sales rep. So totally learned everything that I know about fruits and vegetables, sitting at the sales desk and, and hustling produce in a in the supply chain that is getting more and more complicated each and every day. 
my but God, I have so many questions about that, but yes, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I think the biggest thing and, and the reason folks are so attracted to what we do, it's community centric. It's lighthearted. Like we're not really here. We're let, we're leaving all of the nutrition, you know, facts and the medical claims to experts like yourself, Jackie, like we are here as a community of people that, Hey, we want, we want our kids to choose fruits and vegetables, not Cheetos. And that's tough. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's <laughs> so, so it's tough for adults. It's tough. Yes, for kids too. It's tough. You're right. Yeah. And through the produce moms, we've built the number one resource on the entire internet. That's fully focused on fruits and vegetables. Our community spans the globe. Like we're so thankful for everyone that that is part of what we do, whether you're following along, subscribing or engaging in another way. And, you know, it's been amazing. I was telling you pre-show that we just mm-hmm. launched a produce mom's Idaho potato line at Walmart. Uh, so we're really I'm excited so about that. We've got impressed yeah. by that and so excited Thank about you. it. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we've got bagged apples seasonally throughout the Midwest. So you've maybe seen us on package if you shop in the Midwest during apple season and then nationwide at Target stores, Whole Foods and some other retailers, you can find sliced apples that have the Produce Moms brand on them. But most importantly, we're just we're here to help people eat more fruits and vegetables. We're here to make a difference. We recently became a certified B Corporation. So we really believe that business can be a force for good. And we're going to do everything we can here in our little corner of the world at TPM to make the world a better place by helping eat people eat more fruits and vegetables every day and break down the facts. Like there's a yeah. lot, I don't have to tell you or any listener to this show, there's a lot of garbage out there right. in terms of nutrition claims and diet culture. And gosh, if, if everyone would just be more deliberate about getting more fruits and vegetables into their life, they'd be happier, healthier. You'd feel better. You know, I mean, just, it goes on and on, but it's great for the environment. It's great for the domestic farming economy, but most importantly, it's just great for your mood. Right. Yes. Like, I mean, this is like the number one thing. And I was just thinking about that this morning, that this is sort of like the number one lost talking point, but it, it's a real one. I mean, the impact of veggies and fruit and like getting the adequate amount of servings in a week. I mean, not that we need to like mm-hmm. sit around praising because I want to talk more in detail about everything you just said, but the, the impact on mood on reduced risk of depression and anxiety is a real substantiated claim. And yet it doesn't right. really get the attention that it deserves. It doesn't. And, and also I think just knowing that, like just having that fact, sometimes that's enough for people. It's like, it's like when people talk about supplements and it's like, oh, I'm all of a sudden feeling so amazing. And there's actually just rice powder in that supplement. But like the idea of doing it for the placebo can also be, as long as it's not harming you, a placebo is great too. So even if it's just the message, I feel like, why aren't we just screaming about this from the rooftops more often? (laughs) You know, like we just need to be shouting it more. So on that note, question, what do you think, like if you, you, you mentioned this because there is a lot of like crazy stuff out there and a lot of confusing messaging going on in, in the world, (laughs) in the media world at the very least about produce. What do you think are like three myths about produce that, that kind of just irk you? I mean, I, I know mine, like, like what are my sort of like trigger points of, of annoying messages that are just not true? What do you think those would be for you? Okay. So I'll start this answer by stating the obvious for anyone who follows along with what we do at the produce moms, being an advocate for getting more fruits and vegetables on every table means that we are farming agnostic. You know, Mm. we are, there is a place for every style of farming. Thank you. To answer your question, <laughs> yeah. probably the thing that that bothers me the most is 
the perception, the popular mm. perception that organic equals healthier. Oh my God. I know. That is, crazy. That's probably my number one pain point because organic is a defined style of farming mm-hmm. that is, you know, through that USDA certified organic seal, there are different benchmarks, different protocol that the grower is held to in order to qualify for that seal. Nothing about that certification yields greater nutrition than a fruit or a vegetable that is farmed in a different style. And there are an ample amount of farming styles. So it's not just organic versus conventional. And really it should never be one style of farming versus another, because the last thing we want to do is discourage the consumption of fruits and vegetables. So I, that brings me to my second pain point, which is the EWG Dirty Dozen Clean 15 list. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm cheering. I mean, people who are listening, I'm like, my arms are in the air. I'm like raising the roof. I mean, really. Every year. And you know what? We don't even touch on that at the Produce Moms, despite what we have built at TPM. I made the decision and I don't know, never say never, but right now I'm pretty much at peace with the, with the approach we've taken each and every year, the EWG publishes this garbage, this this garbage list. Yes. (laughs) And it's not rooted in, there is a lot of misunderstanding It, it, you know, crop protection is part of farming. It's part of modern day farming. Crop protection is pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, and fertilizer. So that that's part of farming. Anyone who has a backyard tomato plant knows how difficult it is to grow anything and not have it be attacked by pests. Okay. So it is really important for us all to maintain our ability to be a food sovereign and food secure nation for farmers to utilize crop protection. And there's biopesticides, there's traditional chemical pesticides. There's all sorts of ways that the growers are making sure that they, what they plant is going to result in a yield that they can yes. harvest and feed the world. We've, we're talking right. about less than 2% of the population feeding the entire world and that's your farmers. So it is, it is a critical part of farming and this EWG list severely misrepresents the pesticide residues that are even permissible per USDA standards and FDA standards. It really misrepresents what's even allowed on your food. And it also, yeah. I, I got to newsflash for anyone that isn't aware of this, no one is unnecessarily spraying their fruits and vegetables because each and every time the farmer has to make that commitment to spray whatever kind of crop protection they're spraying. That's a, we're talking millions of dollars. That's a lot of money. So, and and furthermore, if, if you're using like the factory floor concept, like what is, what is the factory floor of a farm? Well, it's mother earth. Like that is where everything is built is (laughs) in the soil, in the earth. I applaud not just the agriculture industry, but every food and beverage land industry that is getting behind the regenerative agriculture movement because soil health is critically important. And again, soil health can happen, you know, with, with the modern day farming systems. We just have to do a better job of, of cover crops, road crop rotations. You know, the, the rise of biopesticides is amazing. That's yeah. it's an alternative to chemical pesticides. They're being adopted mainstream in both conventional and organic farming and indoor farming alike. Like they're, they're everywhere and you're going to continue to see those rise. So those are my two biggest pain points. And I don't yeah. know, Jackie, I mean, when I think about pain points, I know you asked for three, but I mean, those are two um, biggies. Those, those are, are some two big biggies ones. for me. Um, and then <laughs> me I also, 
I think my third would be rooted in it's, it's one reason your book drew me in. My third would be rooted in how did we as a society get to the point where people thought bacon was healthier than an apple? Thank you. I know. I know. I mean, and I do feel like these, like these little nuggets that sound sexy, like they get a ton of attention and often they're a flash in the pan. And then other times they stay way past their welcome. So anyway, I cut you off. No, you didn't cut me off. I, I think that, you know, so I think that's my third pain point is just, and I hate to call it diet culture, you know? Oh, and you know what? I just realized I didn't really elaborate on with the EWG clean 15 dirty dozen list. We don't even publish anything about it at the produce moms. I don't publish a denouncement of it. And the reason I don't is because when I start searching online, like, you know, who's giving the most noise and attention to the EWG list. When you do a web search, half the time it's farming trade media, like, right. Hey, here we are like another year of the EWG. Right. Like, I'm like, I'm right. not giving them another headline. Right. So I don't even publish it. I don't even publish a denouncement of it. Never say never. I might change my mind, but right now I am, I'm pretty comfortable with like the produce moms will not contribute to that noise. Cause that's all yeah. it is. Yes. And yeah. So now back to my third. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> my third, my third thing would be that diet culture, I guess yeah. is the right term. Yeah. The cannibalization of fruit specifically. I'm sensitive to the fact that, you know, fruit is metabolized as a sugar with people that have pre-existing health conditions where they need to watch their sugars or anyone who's trying to be more mindful of sugar intake. You have to know the facts that fruits contain natural, natural sugars, but really I, I have a hard time rallying around these ideas and concepts that, you know, I know I used the example of bacon over apples, but I think it's a good one. Like you can eat, you can eat endless amounts of bacon, but don't touch that apple. You know, I don't get it. And so that is, that is one reason why your book became, I, I use this in our podcast, but it's like the strunk and white of nutrition. Like your book is <laughs> for anyone who's had to write anything in their life, you know, strunk and white. It's like the classic yeah. of grammar. Okay. Right. So Jackie's book, Dressing on the Side and Other Diet Mis- Miss Debunked, it is, it is a classic in the world of nutrition. It helps you really understand. And just following along with Jackie's work, whether it's on this podcast, through her social media, I have learned a lot by watching her turn packaged goods over, walk through that nutrition label, call out, you know, the misnomers. Cause like I said previously, like we're not a nutrition expert at TPM. Like I am, I have not studied nor done the clinical work that Jackie and countless other professionals like her have done yet. We've built this, this great community. So I have a responsibility to abide by those science backed facts surrounding yeah. nutrition and it is that is probably the third thing that really bothers me it's just right. how did we so get kind. here where but you're so right i mean how did we get here it does it <laughs> it seems like as you were talking about the ewg and this annual report and the fact that it, it's i mean talk about talk about i hate this word because it's become a dirty word but talk about misinformation i mean honestly like the amount that the headlines that i see in consumer news that come out Mm -hmm. about like this real hack job of of research of quote unquote research which is actually Mm -hmm. just them setting their own standards for things and then saying this exceeded our standard of pesticide it's like you don't even there's not even any context and then i will see and i'm not trying to to put anyone particularly besides the ewg on blast here but like 
I will see news organizations picking this up and saying things like major news, like CNN, for example. Will the Today always, Show. The Today yeah. Show will have things on on the Chiron, on the homepage yeah. that says things like EWG names these 12 as the ones to, to eat and these are the 15 to avoid and to only buy organic. And I just feel like you've missed, this is really missing the boat. It's also fear mongering in a way that I feel like for the most captive audience who is moms, right? Which is part of why the produce moms exist in the first place is to like yes. say, hello, let's just, <laughs> let's right. just everyone calm the fuck down, <laughs> which is yes. sort of like my mantra, <laughs> my mantra these days, you know, like we got to just, let's just scale back for a sec. Look at the facts. Yep. You know what I mean? No, I think those, those are the perfect three. Those are absolutely the perfect three. So when you were working in sales, what were some of the, what is the, the process of the supply chain? Like, let's start with that. What is the supply chain like for, yeah. for produce? And is it drastically different in present day versus when you started? Not really. I mean, mother nature has always been in charge of agriculture and fresh produce. Like one frost can wipe out strawberries for two weeks. Like there is, you know, so there is a real, and, and certainly, you know, what the farms, you know, have from their drip irrigation to their warming blankets, all this stuff that they're able to use. I'm not saying that we're resistant to mother nature by any means. She's still the boss, but the advancements of technology mm. and what the farmers have access to yeah. in terms of, you know, ways to increase their yield. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, also there's a huge rise in controlled environmental agriculture, mm. also known as uh, CEA, also known as indoor farming, vertical farming, urban farming. I've got a ton of opinions on that as well. I think it's tell, great. Tell I don't, us. I, yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> so first of all, it's extremely expensive. I mean, yeah. you're talking tens of millions of dollars more per acre than your standard land farming. Right now, the majority of what you're seeing in indoor ag is fancy lettuces. You know, wow. I love fancy lettuces. I love fancy salads. Most chefs love them too. It's not feed the world type of agriculture. Not yet. I don't right. know if it'll ever change. Uh, some really cool things that are happening. You've got states like Maine that have local lettuces where previously to the CEA solutions, you know, you would not only would they be bringing leafy greens yeah. into their state, but you're talking like on a truck from Salinas Valley, California or Yuma, Arizona, all the way to Maine. So what kind of food miles are we putting on that food? How sustainable really is that model as the end consumer getting the freshest quality product that they can, you know? Right. So there's a lot of positives to it, but I don't want people to think that it's the end all be all of agriculture. It's part of the solution, but do not think that, you know, indoor agriculture is going to take over or replace yeah. traditional in the soil farms. It's not, it won't, as long as we want to maintain, you know, a society where we have, you know, it is, you know, just speaking from America, yes. you know, if we want to continue to have 365 day availability of all of these different product lines. And do we want to continue to have like certain peak seasons where we know we're getting like from in the month of May, like in June, those Watsonville, California strawberries mm. are like the most delicious strawberries. I mean, they're so big, they can fill your whole palm because the growing conditions, the soil, the seeds that they use, everything is perfect for those iconic 
beautiful, Amazing. gorgeous, big strawberries. Getting a and I know little you've seen. hungry just thinking about I know. them. They're, they're, they're like I know. juicy. They're like almost like apple sized. You know what I mean? I mean, it's yes. just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so strawberries are a crop that you're starting to see be brought into the indoor ag space with a lot of vigor. And I hope it's successful because successful farming initiatives of fruits and vegetables ultimately yield an increased consumption of fruits and vegetables. But I will tell you, I don't think it's an either or scenario. First of all, it's extremely expensive to start these indoor farms. Like I mentioned, you're talking you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in investment money that is needed to even build one and maintain it. So it's extremely, extremely expensive. Now they are, it is a solution to a lot of the farmer headaches. Yeah. You know, they're often, if you maintain the indoor space correctly, mm. you might be able to never spray a pesticide. Right. You know, that's, that's, we know consumers want less of, of pesticide. Like that's a solution. You might be able to do all robotic harvesting. We know that labor is a huge issue for agriculture and it has been really forever. forever. Like there is, you know, there is not a really good labor solution for fruits and vegetables. It cannot be mechanized. It's, there is still human hand necessary in, in picking those crops, whether it's from a tree or a vine or from the ground. And uh, what's happening in controlled indoor ag spaces, there a lot of them, like there's one out of Texas, Iron Ox is the name, 100% robotic. There's not a single human wow. in that farm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yes. so, so cool. It's super cool. I tell folks, this is like the merger of Silicon Valley and Salinas Valley. They've yes. come together. They brought the best of both worlds and they're coming forward with a solution that's going to bring local ag to frankly, every corner of this earth that wants yeah. it. And there's certain countries where that's incredibly important. And there's certain parts of our country, like I mentioned, you know, Maine, a right. state that prior to some of this development, they didn't have local leafy greens. Right. Right. I mean, what is remarkable about what's remarkable about what you're saying in many ways is that I think, I think we're so like-minded. <laughs> about this yeah. that I, it almost feels like like reiterating everything you just said but but without actually doing that i think this this tendency among anyone who is looking to do something that is innovative in a particular space often gets the well that's just going to replace right like the the mm -hmm. word replace yeah. comes up so much and it's that's right. not actually the intention the intention is to augment and to also right. perhaps at a certain point in time that may or may not be in either of our lifetimes, actually it can be both and that both is better yeah. for everyone, right? Like that right. both is, is not just a, an either or thing. It really makes something that expands access and right. also provides the transparency and consistency that so many of us are looking for both in food products, but in really any type of product, right? I mean, like right. you just want that quality that you can actually rely on, which brings me to something else that I, I would say, if you had to choose perhaps a fourth, and I, I'm not going to speak for you here, Lori, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you brought up this, this concept the robotics concept brought up something interesting to me, which I know is not so newsy right now, but I remember, but certainly we've, we've watched this happen over the past couple of years, which is the, the kind of headlines around any type of outbreak, like the Romaine, sure. was it, what was it? If it you, you tell us. Tell Romaine us. outbreaks. Yeah. yeah. So 
That's a really good point. I wish that we had better real-time tracking and reporting to consumers about, about food safety issues. So what happens oftentimes in the situation of the romaine, for instance, by the time our government regulations check all their boxes, cross their T's, dot their I's, and get to a point where they're actually okay with saying like, yes, there is a salmonella issue with romaine. We've been able to confirm it. They've traced it back to the farm. By the time that announcement's made, 90% of the time, the product that was harvested and caused that outbreak has either A, been consumed, or B, has decomposed because so much time has passed since the date of harvest to the date where they're actually making that announcement. Like if the product were still living, alive, available, it's it's not because it's all, I mean, it's a, produce is a living, highly perishable thing, you know? So even with the best refrigeration systems in the world, like Beko, for instance, they have a refrigeration system that guarantees to keep your fruits and vegetables fresh for 30 days. The government doesn't move that fast. There is no 30-day turnaround. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot in perspective for us. Don't right. you think? Like, hmm, right. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and so then what happens, and hats off to everyone in the produce supply chain, because what happens oftentimes are what you call voluntary recalls, where through their own third-party testing, their own commitments, their own investments for food safety, the farmers are able to flag any sort of outbreak, whether it's salmonella or something else, another contagion, they are, and then they can make a voluntary recall. The vast majority of recalls that occur in the United States are voluntary, and it's through farmers really doing a very hard but honest and noble thing. You know, they there might only be one one salad kit that had, you know, that was touched with this, but the right thing to do is to issue a recall and get them all out. Anything that could potentially be part of this, re- of you know, that could also potentially have this contaminant, we're going to recall it. And so there's a lot of different... I was working at Indie Fruit, actually, when we went through our SQF, Safe Quality Food Certification, we got to the ultimate level. Like, it was extremely difficult, but I was able to watch as my former employer went through that process where they committed to doing those their own audits and making sure that, you know, if we needed to make a voluntary recall, we would, you know, and that's, and that is, it's, it's the integrity of agriculture. It's the integrity of the food supply chain and, no one wants to do it, but you know what people really don't want? They don't want the spinach outbreak. I think it was in 2005. I was at the sales desk when it happened. I mean, it resulted in deaths. Like it's very serious. The, the food safety, it has to be number one on everyone's list. And I am fairly certain at this point in, in the game, most of the brands that you would see at grocery retail, you know, I mean, there's such a strict auditing process that takes place to even get your product on shelf at grocery retail. They, these are companies with incredible integrity and commitments as it relates to their food safety and their traceability. Oftentimes you've got growers who have made such investments where they can trace a tomato right back to the vine where it was grown. They might have tens of thousands of acreage, but they can trace that tomato right down to the vine. And it's amazing. It really is. And it's it's incredibly important. And I applaud the produce industry for their leadership. I applaud 
the produce industry for any time they've had to make those difficult voluntary recalls. And our government affairs teams within the produce industry, we're constantly looking for stronger efficiencies as it relates to getting information specifically around food recalls. We've got to tighten up the process, like where we can get CDC, FDA, USDA, working at a more expedited pace so that we can get, if there ever is an unfortunate situation where there needs to be a mandated recall, we don't have this lapse of time because what happens is you get that, you hear it on the news, like, oh, there's a romaine recall. Like how many people are actually reading the fine print? And what happens is people everywhere throw away any product that has romaine in it. They avoid buying romaine. They tell restaurants like, I'm not interested in the Caesar salad because it's made in romaine, made with romaine. And so you end up actually affecting the farm for months, you know, beyond and and increasing the food waste in America. Like where we already throw away about 40% of what is grown in fresh produce ends up in the trash. And it's not what's grown. 40% of what's harvested ends up in the trash in the United States uh, as it relates to fresh fruit and veg. And the lion's share of that waste occurs at the household level. Yeah. You know, what is, what's interesting, I mean, I really, I feel like you just summarized that so perfectly because essentially what you're saying is that, you know, first of all, I think, I don't know that it's, it's as commonly known to everyone that these are almost, I want to say it's 95%. It's like 95%, if not 98%. I mean, I'm not going to use a statistic because that feels a little bit aggressive, just given that I don't know the exact number, but it is an overwhelming majority of these recalls are at least the ones in the present day, like in the last five to 10 years are, are almost overwhelmingly voluntary. It's very rare to see a mandated food recall. That would be number one. Number two is that, of course, no one wants people to get sick as a result of something that you produced. That's your livelihood, your life, your your income, your livelihood is dependent on the product that you are able to grow safely and at at the highest quality and to make sure is as nutritious and safe as possible. And then on the flip side of things, that's another area where I feel like the communication is a little bit off. It's so true. It needs to be stated a little bit clearer upfront, whether you're you know, distributing this information in digital media, in broadcast media, in audio media, wherever it is, that this is, where is the product? Where is, what's the retailer? What is, or retailers, what is, what type of products is this potentially contaminated food going to be found in? Because, you know, there's no, like the idea of the, the mania that comes as a result of that. And I'm thinking now about like 2018's Romaine recall. That was the specific yeah. one that I, I feel like impla- impacted those growers so dramatically so and in a way that was so unnecessary for, for what and actually that, transpired. Yeah. Right? In that year in particular, the romaine that was affected was grown in Yuma, Arizona. The industry had already made the transition back to Salinas. So the romaine that was being harvested, like it wasn't even coming from the same region, right. but it right. didn't matter. You know, in summary, Jackie, We have to button up the process, improve the process of how these government agencies work hand in hand with our healthcare agencies, with our farming institutions and companies, and all of the third-party auditing and, you know, food safety protocol, you know, the private sector that, that farming has invested in to make sure that food is safe. And so with that, once we, once we improve those efficiencies, I do believe that we will be able to avoid a situation in the future where mandated recalls Mm. 
make their way to the general population after the product has already like done its life cycle. You know, harvested fruit or veg does not sustain for, I mentioned previously, like even if you have the best tested refrigeration system in the world, it's the Becco refrigerator is guaranteed to keep your fruits and vegetables fresh for 30 days. That is remarkable. Even if you have that kind of sophisticated at-home refrigeration, you're not going to see fruits or vegetables that have been harvested last much longer than 30 days. So they're not meant to, they're living there. It's fresh produce. It's highly perishable, you know? So, so chances are any leafy green outbreak or any outbreak for that matter, if it comes after a month of the known outbreak, there's a really good chance that the product's already been consumed. Right. Or if it hasn't been consumed, it has already decomposed. Mm. And so important. Yeah. yeah, the lack of folks understanding of that, it affects the farming. It can affect the farming economy for months. Like, and, you know, so I don't know if I, if I've already stated this, edit it out, but yeah. that's where, <laughs> you know, like the yeah. it, people do are apprehensive to buy a product that's been part of a recall for literally months after the recall. Months, I mean, even years, yes. like sometimes yes. it's even years. Like we will see that at, at even at point of sale is like, it's still being, it was still being avoided from 2018. It was still being avoided through, I would say the majority of 2019 in New York city, which is an insane right. concept considering the number of chains and QSR and retailers that, that carry right. this product. It's just nuts. Right. Right. So that's, uh, that's not good. That's not good for the farming economy. It's not good for food waste. It's, you know, you think these, these farmers plan their plantings and their harvest cycles, you know, kind of based off data from more normalized consumption patterns and behaviors. So that, you know, there's a lot more on the farm waste too, like if they don't have an outlet for it. So there's a lot of reasons why it's not a good thing. We need a higher heightened understanding. We're doing what we can at TPM to teach folks about the the supply chain, you know, my my decade of working in the supply chain. Mm. And then also, of course, hosting the Produce Moms podcast and and everything that we do at the Produce Moms has taught me a lot, you know, and one right. of the biggest things it's taught me is there is an absolute knowledge and understanding gap as it relates to how our food is farmed, how it's raised, how it makes its way from the farm to my home kitchen. Lori, I mean preach that uh, times a million because it's so true. I mean, I just think, I think anytime we have the opportunity to do something that humanizes the people behind the things that are so everyday to us, Mm -hmm. you wind up learning so much more than you even thought was humanly possible, right? Like like it's, there's just so much more to it than even gets into the vernacular of our everyday thought processes and conversations about and around the food that that we eat. I mean, I just feel like that's, and and you are certainly leading that charge. I just want to say that I was thinking about this before about, <laughs> about <laughs> you, your very kind words about dressing on the side, but I would say that, may, that perhaps for those who are TikTok averse, but want to find unique, fun, cool, delicious recipes, the produce moms would be like the number one place I would send someone. So I, I well, feel like, you. I feel like it is like the TikTok for the TikTok averse, right? Like it's like the, it's food, yeah. food TikTok for those who feel a little overwhelmed by food TikTok, <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. very clear. No, I, you I guys agree. have a calendar and, you know, going. I mean, yeah. I saw some beet coloring this morning and I was like, that's what I'm talking about. That's it. Yes. Yes. yes we can. 
help you make those hard boiled eggs bright those pink delicious. using just natural beet juice. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I want to shift gears for a second to talk a little bit more about something that I feel like I've I've probably asked you a zillion times, but I would love for you to share this with our listeners, okay. which is that we talked about how there are certain types of CPG products, so packaged mm-hmm. food products that make it to the shelves that come in and out of trend, that have certain marketing claims, that there's a category that rises in consumption for, by consumers. There's, you know, ebbs and flows right. of different food claims, diet trends, diet culture certainly plays a role, but there's lots of other factors also at play there. I wonder if you would share a little bit from and and this can be both your opinion and it can be things sure. that that are factual that that you know to be true as well. What are some of the barriers when it comes to direct to consumer produce marketing? Like why is it that we don't yeah. get the, you know, there's not we've the only thing I can really think of that stands out is avocados from Mexico advertising during the Super Bowl. Right? Like and yeah. I remember the year that that happened because it was like this huge deal that we've got this one produce <laughs> We have one, we got mm-hmm. one fruit and he's here on the And that's screen. not even, and while that is a brand, right? like that's not really like a brand, like Alejandrina, that is a brand of avocados from Mexico. La Bonanza, a brand of avocados from Mexico, you know, avocados from Mexico is the commodity board. And really, I think they've done a brilliant job, obviously. Like they know that a unified voice for one broadline commodity is where it's at, you know, Absolutely. because you're Absolutely. able to put the money into it because it's expensive. Like yeah. I don't have to tell you oh or God, anyone a else. Super Bowl commercial. Those Super Bowl commercials are expensive. <laughs> thirty seconds. It's like, uh, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and you're it's you're going to be hard pressed to find any other commodity or product line or brand, yeah, in fresh produce that can afford that. So I think the biggest reason why brand recognition is where it's at with fresh produce. And, and obviously this, this is a pain point for me. Like yeah. the brands and the stories in fresh produce, they move my soul, obviously. Yeah. Like it's why I do what I do at the produce moms is, is largely in part because I think that if people only knew the yeah. stories behind these brands, that would be a motivating factor to eat more, 100%, you know, and 100%. Yes, and but we're a commoditized industry, you know, we always have been. And there's a side of me that thinks despite any of our valiant efforts, we always will be. Mm. And a big reason I, I say we have to get comfortable with the commoditization of food is when you look at what's happening at grocery retail today, the farmer brands, you're getting less and less of the farmer brand in fresh produce. All the stores want their store brand. I think co-branding is where it's at. Like that's the strategy we've taken with the Produce Moms branded products. I never want someone to, when they encounter a Produce Moms Idaho potato, I never want them to feel like they don't know where it's from. Right. You know, I want them to be able to look up the, like have it disclosed right there on package and then they can go to the website and learn more. And all of our, all of our packaging has that transparency tie in for our packaged goods. But what's happening at grocery retail, the rise of the, the store brand or private label is something that cannot be ignored when you're talking about like, why do people not know the brands? Well, big reason they don't know is because they, the brands never make their way to shelf. You know, you probably, you buy, you buy way more produce more than likely, you know, most households buy fruits and vegetables with more volume and variety than arguably many other consumer products, you know, many other, you know, and it's like, 
I use shoes as an example when I do public speaking, you know, in, in a lot of households, especially as it relates to kids with shoes, you get your back to school shoes, you've got shoes for each sport you play, and maybe you got a pair of like play shoes. Okay. But chances are your household's buying fruits and vegetables on a weekly basis, not a quarterly basis or a seasonal basis or an annual basis for back to school. You are actually buying fruits and vegetables on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And the, I could go around a whole assembly of really people of any age, but especially school children and say, tell me your favorite brand of shoes. And they all have a favorite brand. Now, if I say, tell me your favorite brand of Apple, we know from consumer research, apples are like, they're it. Like they're in our top three of, you know, it's bananas, apples, and grapes are pretty much, you know, dominant oranges kind of float in and out of that top three. But as it relates to fruit consumption in the United States, it's, it's, it's so you're talking big business and apples. Right. All right. And if I say to students, tell me your favorite brand of apple, like they're more likely to say iPod than they are an actual brand of apple. <laughs> or a color. Or just like a color, red, red. right. You might hmm. have someone say Honeycrisp. Honeycrisp is actually a variety. It's not a brand. And so those are that there is a real lack of brand in produce. And when I consider all the supply chain pressures and the fact that farmers, they got to focus on farming. What is more important for the farm? Well, the most important things for the farm, like we mentioned, is food safety. Another critical thing of importance for the farms is, you know, are you, are you, taking care of your workforce? Are you, you know, empowering your farm laborers? Are you, you know, having safe farm practices and, and protecting your people and the community and the environment where you're farming? That's, that's also of pinnacle importance. And then it's food. So does your food taste good? Like you're doing all this, you know, those are, those are things that, those are things that, that farmers really need to focus on. And I think that's one reason why there's been this gap and, you know, and I was able to identify that gap of like, no one knows these brands, including some of the people even working in the supply chain. Now, granted, information era, all the social media, all the digital media that we can all self-produce and, and, and consume, it's raised the awareness of brands for produce industry professionals and produce industry consumers alike. But in 2012, when I took my blog live, which was part of my work for hire, there was low, there was low brand recognition and understanding of even some of the most iconic brands in our, in our industry. You know, people didn't, they, they might know, oh yes, I know, you know, cuties is obviously cuties, an iconic right. example. They're Halos like the Kleenex. Even, yeah. Right. Cuties yeah. is like the Kleenex right. of fresh produce. Like every orange is now a cutie for a lot right. of people. And so, <laughs> and so it's, uh, but the, those are great examples of, you know, incredible marketing campaigns, but there are so many more stories to tell so many more. So I'm doing my best in our corner of the world to, to beat that drum, tell those stories. But I also feel strongly that even despite those efforts, like how likely is a human being to connect with a celery brand? You could mm. love celery and eat it every day, right. but is a brand of celery going to be like how Yeti moves people's souls. Okay. Like Yeti is a brand that I've studied. And I think any marketer should study Yeti because look at what they did to coolers and look at what they've done to tumblers. And when you look at their commercials, what, what is wild is they don't even have product placement in their commercials. They're touting this lifestyle. They're touting, you know, like the adventure and the outdoors and all this stuff that is associated with Yeti, but you might not ever actually see a Yeti product in their commercials. 
And I have challenged the industry and other speaking events and, you know, like who's going to be the Yeti of fresh produce? Well, I'm on record here on this podcast. I want my brand to be that. Like the produce moms can be that. And we are working day in and day out to be that because what is, what is realistic is you might love celery. You might eat it every single day, but it's probably not the only fruit or vegetable that you, that, you know, and you might not even know a brand name because of the way the point of sale marketing and point of sale trends with private label are pushing consumers into knowing their grocery store, not necessarily their farmer. And so with that, I I believe that the produce moms can be that void. And we have been proving that since 2012, working in partnership with these amazing growers that we vet. They have to be farms that meet our standards. First and foremost, they got to farm delicious tasting food because I believe all food is delicious, all fresh produce, I should say, is delicious, nutritious, convenient, and affordable. So they have to be part of that. And then beyond that, then we look into the human capital side. Like, how are you treating the people who work for you? What are your policies for breastfeeding moms? What are your policy? You know, like all of that stuff is what we look at before we evaluate whether we're going to support a brand, you know, at the produce moms. And then of course, there's sustainability as it relates to the environment and their agricultural practices. That's also very important. What does your transparency look like? You know, those are, those are things that, you know, you have to have all of them to be a brand that we believe in to the point where we would claim it and promote it as a partner of ours. So that's, and, you know, I think that education is a means to increasing consumption. Consumption is our industry's rallying cry. Like what are people in the produce industry all united on? Even direct competitors. What do you agree on? We agree on consumption. We want to increase consumption. We throw tons of money into studies and efforts and initiatives to increase consumption. I believe as someone who has raised, you know, is raising children. And as someone who has sold fresh produce, I believe that education is a means to increase in consumption. And I'm creating the produce moms as that space where you can get educated, but you can also get very inspired. And you also can come and, you know, kind of get that produce moms check seal of approval. Like this is a legit brand. This is a legit variety. Like this is a product line that if it's not on shelf at your grocery store, you got to ask for it because it's going to change your life when you bring it home. Right. Right. That's that's what we're all about. (laughs) Lori, I mean, I feel, first of all, I feel like extremely inspired by everything that you just said, but you know, what is really so fascinating about that and about what you like the, your, your description of like Yeti as a case study is a perfect example. There are so, there are others, Mm -hmm. but that is the perfect one in this space, right? Is Mm -hmm. that I think we, a lot of other industries compete and there is a very clear competition. In produce, if 90% of the US isn't meeting the recommendation for produce, then the rising tide lifts all of the ships here, people, Correct. right? Like, I mean, Correct. like, so really, it's only a net positive for someone to recognize cuties and, you know, I mean, just as an example, right? Like, it can only be a rising tide for oranges at large. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And anyone in this industry who is mission focused will agree with that. You know, we are so committed to that mission. We tell our brands, partners that we work with, like, you know, we want you to work with other voices. Like the produce mom shouldn't be your sole investment for marketing. You know, yes, we want, I'm bootstrapping. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a for-profit business. I need more funding, but the right thing to do for is, is exactly what you said. 
many ships raising the tide, get more people creating this noise. You know, we're committed to even, and this is really makes us an outlier. Like if someone invests with content with someone else, we're like, we'll share it. We'd love to share it. We'd love to promote, you know, that even if it means we're promoting a direct competitor essentially. So, you know, but those are, but we're very mission driven and our mission at the produce moms is to get more fruits and vegetables on every table. And that is not something that one single entity is going to achieve. It's going to take us all. And we believe at the produce moms that moms can be the force that where we can really get more fruits and vegetables on every table. And I challenge anyone who's listening to us, you know, today, when you think about your food and when you're planning your food for the week or planning a birthday party or a gathering of any sort, the first thing that you need to be thinking about is where's the fruit and vegetables. Yes. You know, make that the first thing you prep oh, when you're entertaining crowds. Yes. You know, make sure that you get that fruit tray out. Make sure that you get that salad prepped, and the rest will just come together. You know, as your as your time and menu will allow. But keep fruits and vegetables top of mind. Become known as the house. Like my children, I've got a son who's getting ready to be a freshman in high school, and just last night we had. I don't know when this is going to publish, Jackie, but you know, just last night it was Duke Michigan State for the March Madness game. Love it. And so we invited all these eighth grade boys over and that's a tough crowd. You're talking 14 year old boys. <laughs> that's a tough Sorry. crowd the to toughest. entertain. Yeah. yeah. Tough crowd to entertain, especially for a sporting event viewing party. And, you know, I, I put a tablecloth down on my kitchen table and I had two enormous fruit trays and I had a big veggie tray and some homemade hummus and some homemade ranch. Amazing. And that's all that I put out on that table. There was a neighbor who came over with a crock pot of queso from the local Mexican restaurant and chips. Let me tell you, there was leftover queso and chips. There was not a single leftover fruit item because it was what was available first. Right. You know, it was the first thing that those boys could get their hands on. That's such a good point. The fresh fruit and veg. Right. And it's what they ate. Like I didn't put Doritos out later in the night. We had chips and dip, you know, but when they first arrived, I, and I know from having that age boy in and out of my house, like they're going to eat. And so I might as well make sure that when they're here, they're eating fruits and vegetables. And it was amazing because one of my son's good friends who, you know, he's been over here countless times. He said to me last night, he's like, I love coming here because I know I'm going to have the best fruit tray ever. Oh my God. What there a was nothing, compliment. <laughs> nothing remarkable about what I did. I sliced like, one watermelon. I sliced a cantaloupe. I sliced a honeydew. That was on one tray, like a melon tray. And then I did another tray that had one pineapple, like two pounds of kiwi that I had peeled and diced up and two pounds of strawberries that I had cleaned and, you know, removed the green, sliced them in half. Wow. So nothing remarkable. And also it's extremely affordable. If I were to do chicken wings for a dozen 14-year-old boys, I would have spent a lot more money <laughs> yeah. than what I spent in making those massive, beautiful fruit trays. That's a turnkey strategy that everyone with us today yes. can adopt. You know, yes. do make sure your fruits and vegetables are available and, and ready to eat first and then get started with other menu components or other foods that you're going to offer to the people you love and entertain in your home. So well said. I mean, what's so what's so remarkable about that statement too is how simple it is in theory, and yet we don't find ourselves doing that. And I, I'm just thinking this through, like about how so many of us are taught to prep, right? Like about what it mm-hmm. what a me, what meal prep in a 
personalized way looks different in lots of places, right? But you often come at it from the standpoint of, let me do the hardest thing first, or like, let me do mm-hmm. the thing that takes the longest to cook first, and then I'll get to the produce at the end. Well, but then you, you're, you old. I mean, time. inevitably, yeah. most of us are going to run out of that time. And so I, I feel like the simplicity of that is so powerful and definitely something I'm going to start doing immediately. Yes. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> like, yeah. Great idea. Wow. Lori, that is fantastic. Okay. I love that. I love that. But you also, you hit on something else that I just wanted to make sure I asked you about while I have you, which is that yeah. where the, the concept of cost in produce and the idea that that inclusion of more produce is expensive. Where does this come from and how do we kind of nip it in the bud? Yeah, you know, it's tough. Okay, so before I even get started answering this question, because certainly I have an answer and it's rooted in years of consumer research and, you know, studying USDA trends and, and food waste trends, et cetera. But before I answer that question, I want to state the obvious, but something that's really not stated enough. A lot of times the people preaching about, you know, fruits and vegetables are very affordable are people who don't understand what it's like to go to the grocery store and not have money to buy the foods that you might want. There is absolutely a very large sector of the U.S. population that can't walk into the grocery store and buy whatever looks good in the produce department. They're very limited by their budget or they're very limited by, you know, their, their federal nutrition benefits that they're getting, whether it's through WIC, SNAP, EBT. So that is a real thing. And I, I applaud the grocery retailers who are getting involved with nutrition incentives, such as the double up food bucks program, where any household that is spending money on food with a, with, through the SNAP benefit, their money actually goes double. They get $2 for, you know, so every $1 spent in the produce department actually turns into $2. And that takes real, that takes extreme buy-in from the retailer to manage and implement a program like that. So the retailers that are doing that stay committed to doing that because you are, you are helping to solve a nutrition crisis and you are empowering the health and well-being of our country by getting food insecure families, a heightened access to fresh produce. So that is amazing. Now, my answer to the question, why does it feel very expensive? Like most of the people talking about the expensive nature of food, a lot of times um, the people griping about it might be people who aren't necessarily restricted by SNAP and WIC benefits or, you know, f- you know, yes. the food access dollars, right. but they'll still gripe about it. So here's what I'm saying for that sector of the population. The majority of the waste is occurring in your own kitchen. Like you are 100% shopping with great intentions that you are going to have a beautiful, you know, salad bar night, three nights a week, and you're going to eat nothing but fresh fruit for breakfast with yogurt parfait or standalone or whatever. And you're going to prep all these fresh vegetables for your dinner time. And then what happens is life happens and you've overbought, you've underprepped, things have landed in the crisper drawer that you haven't opened up and they've died in there. It's a painful, <laughs> a painful death. In oh, there. the drawer yeah. of death. The it drawer it of really death. can be. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. for those folks, I encourage you. There's a couple of things that you can do where you can kind of nip those strategies in the bud. You, I mean, unfortunately, meal planning is part of it. You know, what you, what you buy, you got to prep. Now, if you if you see that you've got veggies that are getting close to their prime, we have tips on the producemoms.com. I know Jackie shares tips on her platform and probably many of the other guests that have been part of this show. 
what do you do with fruit that is wrinkling or starting to mold? Is it just, is it all waste? Can you cut off the mold and use the rest of the fruit? The answer to that is yes, of course you can. There's recipes that we have, like our homemade fruit leather is a fan favorite where you can literally take any fruit item that is showing age and you can turn it into like a homemade fruit roll-up essentially that has one ingredient fruit, <laughs> you know? So that's an, that's an idea of how you can use stuff that is starting to show its age with veggies. I mean, gosh, it's really easy. Just dice them up, toss them in olive oil, put them in your air fryer or your oven and roast them. And I promise you, you won't notice that they were a little, you know, dehydrated or starting to shrivel up. It's a great way to, to incorporate all that, but gosh, it, you know, I, I believe that fruits and vegetables are very affordable, especially when you evaluate them from a nutritional point of view, there is, there's no better spend dollar for dollar, bite for bite. You're getting the best bang for your buck in the produce department, hands down. Now we also have some affordability studies and in a climate where food costs are rising due to the increased prices of really everything right now. I mean, food is up in costs the same way most consumer products are starting to see an increased price point. But even when you compare, you know, ounce for ounce, what you get in produce versus ounce for ounce, what you get really in any other department, yeah. any other department of the grocery store, like I will, I will stack up the cost of a week's worth of strawberry parfaits versus the cost of a week's worth of strawberry Pop-Tarts any day. 100%. You know, you Lori, know? What, what is also really interesting about, about that statement and where I, where I actually thought you were going to, to start with this is that mm-hmm. when you mentioned that about how often it is those, it is people who are not dependent on federal programs like SNAP to afford groceries, right? Who are often the people saying that produce is expensive. Mm-hmm. It it really makes you think about how then in that setting, it's not only a mismatched discussion of of what affordability actually means, but it's really a discussion about value and what mm-hmm. actually is a priority to you. And in that case, then I would say, well, yes, you know, I understand that these $14 berries, berries were not meant to be $14, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you finding them at this one particular store that does not, that is like right. selling them as part of some sort of specialty item along with ceremonial grade matcha from the corners of Japan, like that, that might, yeah, no, that seems very expensive, right? Like that there's sometimes just a, a misunderstanding about what is the value, how far can this take you throughout the week? And also, you know, where are your groceries actually coming from? Because if, if yeah. you're not looking for those solutions, but you are looking for overall affordability and being able to feed more than one person in your life at home, then then you got to find solutions and get creative. And that's where I feel like the produce moms really does such an incredible job of, of sharing that message, but also showing and teaching and helping people feel like that message is actually a lot of fun and really delicious. Right. Like, and that's so important too. Absolutely. I mean, we have apples to zucchini A to Z. Like we've got you covered with content at the produce moms to help you understand how to select store and serve all the different produce items I will also like kind of dovetail off what you said. 
cheap food has a cost. Like a thousand percent, <laughs> you know, a big cost. <laughs> Thank you. So, it, you know, don't over anytime you're making a choice to purchase a fruit or vegetable, you're making the ultimate choice in food. And as, as we all find ourselves more strapped with food costs rising, all the other consumer products rising, whether it's energy in your home or gas in your car, whatever, like life is more expensive today than it was one year ago Mm, from today. Yeah. And don't overlook the opportunity to start your produce shopping journey, start and end it with the ads buy what's on sale. Yes. And if you, if you stay committed to those produce ads, I will tell you as someone who spent 10 years putting together grocery <laughs> retailer ads and fresh produce, you know what they're centric yes. to? They're centric to seasonality and availability, which means they're centric to the ultimate times of year to eat these fruits and vegetables. When produce is in abundance, when strawberries are at their best, I know we talked about those, that Watsonville strawberry season yeah. at the beginning of the show. That's when the the supply is very abundant. The price is going to be more affordable, but guess what's also going to be amazing? Your eating experience, because it's going to be at the peak flavor is that correlates that directly aligns with the, so peak flavor is also peak volume in agriculture and well, specifically fresh produce. So you can, you can expect a great variety of fruits and vegetables. If you're shopping those grocery ads and you're going to have incredible flavor to meet, you know, to help you along the way. And that is really where our food journey begins. It has to taste good. It is food. If it doesn't taste good, then no one's going to come back and eat it. That's been my biggest pain point. Like with the work I do with school meals, for instance, I'm like, we got to stop serving school kids apples that have had a birthday. Like right. just stop. Like there's no reason for that. So um, what is the purpose of this? Honestly, unless you were trying to make applesauce, in which case, okay, but why? Right. I know. I know. So it's got to taste good. And when you follow those produce department ads, you're going to find stuff that tastes great. Unlike other ads in the grocery retail setting, your produce ads, they, they correlate with peak with peak flavor because it cor- that correlates with peak availability. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a great way to save, you know, make those food bucks go a little bit further in the produce department. And then you can count on resources like the produce moms, like when summer sweet corn's available and in season, you can stock up. We've got plenty of content to teach you how to strip it off the cob yes. and freeze it for, you know, the winter months. Um, same with blueberries, you know, you, those are, those are items that people love year round and the price certainly fluctuates year round, you know, in the produce department. Right. Lori, I kind of want to keep you here forever because oh. I feel like you, you have given <laughs> us so many gifts just by, just by being here and spending time with me today. Thank so you. I have to say thank you for that. I also have to say that you are chock full of pro tips that are just so simple and just perfectly well said. So, I mean, hello, it's a sale. I love a sale. I mean, who yes. doesn't love a sale, right? I mean, yeah. what a brilliant, I, that literally never even occurred to me. And now I feel like that is going to be the ultimate strategy going into any grocery store. I have to end us on our final question, Lori, you know it. It's you it's your it. last day. It's your last day before you leave on a trip with Elon Musk to space. <laughs> He's like, Lori, I just need you to help me prep the sweet corn up in this rocket ship <laughs> that's taking me to the first layer of space. What's on the menu? What are you eating? 
and tell, I mean, you can be a specific, <laughs> it, this can also just be a snapshot in time. This is just today. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? What's on that menu? Tell us. Well, it would really depend on the time of year. Oh, but if I had a great to pick, answer right there. You know, Already it's a great answer. Right. Okay. <laughs> but I will go ahead and drop this on everyone. There is one recipe in particular that is a shining star on the producemoms.com in my eyes. It's the very first recipe I made on live television. And it's a combination of some iconic summertime foods. They're both available year round, but they are really best. Like, so this is, this is going to be like a June sunny day with Elon Musk. And this is what I'm serving up. And he's going, how dare he go to space? It's a sunny day in June. (laughs) Go to the beach, Elon. Okay. (laughs) And that the meal that I'm prepping is the watermelon tomato salad with jalapeno vinaigrette that is on the producemoms.com. It is absolutely the most, and, and the way that I serve it, I like to do like a slab of watermelon as the base, then put your baby greens on top, drizzle it with the jalapeno vinaigrette, put a couple like really nice vine ripened tomato slices. So your beefsteak style tomatoes, get a couple slices of that next jalapeno vinaigrette, and then sandwich it on top with a next, with another layer of the watermelon slab. And then you can top it off with arugula if you'd like, or scallions or whatever, whatever floats your boat, sliced, fresh sliced jalapenos, if you'd like, or just drizzle a little bit more of that jalapeno vinaigrette. It is like the most amazing. It's the most amazing blend of flavors. They all work. They all complement each other, the right textures. And if you want to top it with like cotija or goat cheese, have at it. You can. And the way I made it on air, I put a little bit of cotija on top. Feta cheese would also work really well. But anyway, that is what I would serve to Elon or anyone who came over to my house in June and said, make me the best dish that you can. That really showcases the heart and soul of your business. You've got your watermelon, your tomato, your, your fresh leafy greens. And then you got that little heat from the jalapeno that comes across in a subtle way because it's in the vinaigrette, but it is oh so good. And that is what I would serve. That sounds so delicious. Are we having anything for dessert? Maybe a cocktail, maybe a dessert, anything <laughs> else in there? I mean, I'm not trying to get you to like make everything, Lori. I mean, this can be somewhere we're going out to eat if you if you feel so inclined, but anything else? What else we got? I, you know, I would maybe pair it with, it'd have to be like a mule or a margarita. Like something, be, like a, a patio drink, exactly, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a blueberry that. mule. We got a blueberry mule on the protismoms.com that's delicious. And then I've also got a couple margaritas, but the strawberry margarita is probably my favorite. That sounds like heaven. All right, Lori, mm-hmm. thank you for being here. This was incredible. I'm starving. Where can people find you? <laughs> <laughs> we're easy to find. Wherever you get your info online, we're there. Our social media handle across all platforms is The Produce Moms. And of course, we welcome you to our home and that is theproducemoms.com. So come check us out and let us know if there's anything we can do for you. The contact form on theproducemoms.com comes straight to my inbox. So if there's anything we can do for you, any specific questions you have about fruits and vegetables, let us know. We'll get them answered for you. If I can't answer them, I'll find the expert that can. Amazing. Lori. I love you, Jackie. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. 
If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow on the side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.